Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. As the team has already mentioned this morning, this weekend we are launching into a new series. The series is simply entitled Blast from the Past. And we are going to be unpacking lessons from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. I've already had a few people say 1 Samuel is their favorite book in the Bible. They love the book of 1 Samuel. For many of you, uh, 1 Samuel is a book that you're familiar with. You've read it. You understand some of the principles. You love the stories. For some of you, 1 Samuel this morning is the first time you ever knew there was a book in the Bible called 1 Samuel. It doesn't matter if you're somebody who's read it backwards and forwards or somebody who's never cracked it open before, we are going for the next several weeks together, unpack some incredible lessons from this Old Testament narrative. Now, maybe you're thinking, Pastor, what can I possibly apply to my life from a book that is over 3,000 years old? Because that's when the book of 1 Samuel was written, about 3,000 years ago. They're in a blast from the past, right? Maybe you're thinking, what can I possibly learn from a book written 3,000 years ago? Obviously, a lot has changed in the last 3,000 years. Amen? A lot's changed. We live in a day and generation of incredible technological advancement. As a matter of fact, technology is increasing more rapidly today, they tell us, than at any other time in the civilization of the world. We're living in a day of rapid technological advancement. Let me give you a glimpse into how much has changed since this book was written 3,000 years ago. About 3,000 years ago, they came out with a modern invention that was a sign of the technological advancement of the day when 1 Samuel was written. You know what it was? False teeth. Let me show you. A pair of these beauties, right? I don't even know how they put that in somebody's mouth, right? But they did. That, that's, a, that's an actual picture of excavation on false teeth that has happened from around this time period. That's one of the first, uh, what, what, what false teeth first looked like. They took this wire and they wired these teeth together and then somehow they put it in somebody's mouth. Anybody want to sign up to have that done after the service? So 3,000 years ago, that was the height of technological advancement. Not long after they invented false teeth, they invented metal, lock, and key. You say, what's the connection? Here's what happened. Somebody crept in. You know what you do with your false teeth. You put them in that cup, right? 
at night by your bed. Somebody crept in, stole somebody's false teeth. Next day they said, that's never happening again. Invented them some lock and key, right? No, I don't know. I'm making that up. I don't know how, how they did it. So here we are 3,000 years later, and we're, we're seeing technology advance a little more rapidly than false teeth and metal lock and key. So a lot has changed, but let me tell you two things that haven't changed. People are still people. You can drop back 3,000 years ago, and as we read the book of 1 Samuel, let me tell you what you're going to find out. They had a lot of the same problems, same challenges, same emotions, same struggles. They had problems in their relationships. They had desperate days. They dealt with jealousy and anger. As we read through this book, you're going to watch as some of them struggle to hear God speak into their lives. As we read through 1 Samuel together, we're going to find times when God's people, they wanted God's will, but they wanted to accomplish God's will their way. All that sounds real familiar to us today, right? So 3,000 years have gone by, but people are still people. And here's the second thing. God is still God. The same God that dealt faithfully with his people 3,000 years ago is the same God that is at work in our lives today. And as we watch God move in the lives of his people, we are going to learn some valuable lessons that are applicable for us today. Because remember what the Bible says about God? Look at it in Psalm 90. Look on the screen. It says, for a thousand years in your sight are like, say it out loud, yesterday. So 3,000 years of technological advancement has gone by for us as human beings. And for God, it's just been the weekend. 1,000 years is like a day. Just been a weekend. Same God. So we're going to dig into 1 Samuel, and we're going to learn some lessons. And I want to give you the first lesson. Here's the, the lesson number one that we're going to unpack in this first chapter. God allows us to experience dark days to lead us to deeper faith. I want you to read that out loud with me this morning. One, two, three. God allows us to experience dark days to lead us to deeper faith. Anybody in the room ever walked through some dark days? Maybe you're in the middle of one of those days right now. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in a family relationship. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your finances. And right now, you are in the middle of a dark day. Some of you may be walked in here today just like the person we're about to read about. Hannah was broken. Hannah was living in a dark 
moment, and she walked into the house of the Lord completely desperate, knowing that if God didn't do something, she was hopeless. Maybe that's where you are. If that's where you are, let me just tell you, that's a good place to be. Because God allows us to experience some dark days to lead us to deeper faith. That's the answer. If you're in the middle of a dark day, the answer is faith. You say, what is, what, what's faith? Well, there was a missionary named John Patton who was trying to translate the scriptures to the, to the peoples living on the Hebrides Islands because they had no access to the gospel. And in the middle of his translation of the scriptures, he got to the word faith, and there was no word in their language or dialect to communicate the word faith, and he was completely stumped. He didn't know how to move forward. One day he was sitting in his hut praying over how to translate this idea of faith. And one of the natives that he befriended came running into his hut, sat down in a chair and just relaxed and said, Man, it feels good to rest my whole weight on this chair. And John Patton said, There it is. That's my word for faith. Faith is resting your whole weight on God. In the middle of the dark days, here's the answer. Throw yourself on Him. Rest in Him. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to the book of 1 Samuel. Now, as we study through 1 Samuel together, we're not going to be able to unpack everything that's in this book. We're going to try over the next several weeks to take the, the high points of this book and keep you in the story as it, it reads through. So that's why we're giving you a reading plan so you can read everything that's in here. But one of the things we will do is in a lot of our weekend gatherings, because the Old Testament is written largely in narrative form, where a lot of the New Testament is written as letters, so you can get a lot of information in one verse. In the Old Testament, we're going to read some larger sections of Scripture. So I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now, if you don't know where 1 Samuel is, just go to Genesis, go to the beginning, and start moving to the right, and you will get to 1 Samuel pretty soon, all right? It's real close to the beginning. You'll see Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and then you'll get to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and then when you get there, just look at chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put these words up on the screen. Now there was a certain man from Ramatham Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. Aren't you glad you didn't have to read that verse out loud <laughs> this morning? If you come back next service, it'll probably sound totally different, all right? I can make it up, and you don't know whether I'm right or not. <laughs> Verse 2. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. 
When the day came to El- when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly, bitterly, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord. All the days of his life and a razor shall not shall never come to his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart only. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk, a real discerning priest there, right? <laughs> Verse 14. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning. And worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Great phrase. It came about in due time. After Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel. Where we get the letter or the title of this book. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him, only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, Oh, my Lord. As your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here praying, 
who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And so the book of 1 Samuel begins. We find Hannah living in some dark days. As you read through that that first chapter, you hear phrases like in verse 7, she wept. It's a phrase that means to weep bitterly. There's an intensity about it. It's often translated with the word wailing. This isn't a little tear trickling down her cheek. She is wailing. She's sobbing, the kind of sobbing that if it was happening in the room, everybody would know it's going on. In verse 10, it says she was greatly distressed. In Hebrew, it literally is the construction to be bitter of soul. There was a deep hurting on the inside. R. Kent Hughes said that this phrase implies disappointment, dissatisfaction, and discontent with her life. She was a deeply unhappy woman. Verse 11 says she was afflicted. It's a Hebrew word that describes misery, and it refers to a state of extreme discomfort physically, mentally, or emotionally. Verse 15 says she was oppressed in spirit. It means that she was deeply troubled on the inside. Hannah was living in some dark days. You in a dark day? You see, when we're in the middle of dark days, there are really two options. We either run from the Lord or we run to the Lord. What are you doing today? Are you allowing those dark days to cause you to run to the Lord? That's faith. I don't necessarily feel it. I don't necessarily see it. But by faith, I'm going to run to the Lord. Or are you following your flesh and in the middle of the dark days running from the Lord? Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 46. He said, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. That phrase, a very present help in time of trouble, can also literally be translated like this. Abundantly available for help in tight places. 
God is our refuge. It means he's a place of protection. He's a place of safety. He's a place of security. But he's not just our refuge. He's our strength. He's our protector, but he's also our power. And here's what the scripture says. He is abundantly available for help in tight places. When the days are dark, do not listen to the voice of your flesh that says run from God. By faith, run to God. You know what needs to happen this morning? This morning, there are some people in this room, you are walking through some stuff. And before we leave here today, you need to run to the Father. When we begin to run to Him in faith, let me give you four aspects of what it looks like, and we're going to be done this morning. Number one, faith enables me to see my problems as a part of God's plan. Let that sink in for a minute. Faith enables me to see my problems as a part of God's plan. There is a, twice in this first chapter, there's a statement that is difficult for us to grasp. And it's this statement. The Lord had closed her womb. No explanation given to us there. No cause and effect given to us there. Just the simple statement. The Lord had closed her womb. It's a statement that is a recognition of the sovereignty of God. It is a statement that is an, is an acknowledgement that God is in absolute control of everything in my life, both the good and the bad. He is as in control on the mountaintop as he is in the valley. And Hannah, by faith, embraced that reality. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying she liked it. I'm not saying that it made her happy. I'm not saying that she was thrilled with the plan. She was not. Did you read these verses? She was bitter. She was angry. She was hurting. She was wailing. But in the midst of all that, she said, God, even though I can't see it, I embrace my problems as a part of your plan. You say, how do you see that? Let me show you two things that helps us see that. But before I show it to you, listen to this quote by Henry Blackaby. I love this. He said, faith does not come from ignorance. Faith is based on what we know. Faith is in response to hearing of the Lord, understanding who God is. There's one of the reasons so many of us struggle to walk in faith in dark days. We don't know enough about God to hang on in the dark days. But because Hannah knew her God and she knew the character of her God and the faithfulness of her God, by faith she embraced her problems as a part of God's plan. 
We see it in what she called the Lord. Look at verse number 11. In verse number 11, she said, O Lord of hosts. Did you know that's the first time in all the Bible anybody refers to God with that name? The first time that name is ever used in the Bible is in chapter 1, verse 3 of this same chapter. This is the first time that name is ever declared. The first time it's ever uttered from somebody's lips in declaration to God is Hannah in the midst of her darkness saying, Oh, Lord of hosts. Why is that significant? Because hosts was the term in Hebrew and in the language of the day that referred to the hosts of heaven. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the galaxies. And in Hannah's day, most people, most religions worshipped the hosts of heaven. Their gods were gods to the sun and gods to the moon and gods to the stars and gods to the planets. But Hannah begins her prayer by saying, I don't worship the sun. I don't worship the moon. I don't worship the stars. I worship the God that created the stars. I worship the God who put the heavens in their place. I come to the Lord of hosts. It's an acknowledgement from Hannah about the sovereignty and the almighty power of God. The Lord had closed her womb, but she said, if you're the God who can hold the universe in place, I can trust that my problems are a part of your plan. We not only see it in what she called the Lord, we see it in what she called herself. Four times in this passage, she says, I am a maidservant. It's the Hebrew word for slave. You are God. I am but your servant. It was a term that was used interpersonally to express humility and submission. Here's how Hannah opened her prayer. You are God. I am not. And I submit to you. I'm your servant. No demanding God move on her agenda. Submission. You see, although Hannah couldn't see it in the moment by faith, she knew that her problem was a part of God's really big plan. She knew the promise that Paul would write over a thousand years later. Listen to this promise in Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, And we know that God causes all things to work together for what? How does Paul know that? Let me tell you one of the ways he knew it, because he'd seen it in Hannah's life. Paul had read the scriptures from the Old Testament, and he'd seen the faithfulness of God and those that had come before him. And Paul said, let me tell you what I know. I know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his, say it out loud. But then he goes on to tell us what the purpose is for those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that we, he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Faith sees my problems, all things, the good and the bad, as part of God's plan. 
Does the Bible say God causes all things? No. The Bible says God causes all things to work together for good. He's sovereign over it all. So let me ask you, first of all, have you embraced it? God, I don't know. I don't like it. God, I don't like what I'm walking through. It doesn't feel good at all. Matter of fact, God, it hurts. But I welcome it. I embrace it. I see it as a part of your plan. Give you the second thing. Faith invites me to pour out my heart to God in prayer. You see, God's sovereignty could have led Hannah to fatalism. Well, if God is sovereign, it just is what it is. Nothing I can do. I just got to sit here and accept it. God's sovereignty could have led her to resentment. If God is sovereign, if this is a part of God's plan, I want nothing to do with him. God's sovereignty could have led her to depression. If God is sovereign, woe is me. Why me, Lord? And I'm sure Hannah probably battled all of those emotions. When you're in the middle of the darkness, it's easy to battle all of those things. But ultimately, faith in God's sovereignty led her to pursue God in desperate prayer. Here's what that means. God's sovereignty and desperate prayer go hand in hand. In the life of faith. You say, explain that. I just did as good as I can. God is sovereign. God is in control. Everything in my life right now has been filtered through His sovereignty. I can trust Him. But at the same time, faith invites me to pour out my heart to him in desperate prayer, believing that this sovereign God has chosen to work in response to the desperate cries of his people. I do not understand all of that, but I'm just telling you, this book from Genesis to Revelation says, our God is in control. And this book from Genesis to Revelation says, when you and I cry out to God, this sovereign Almighty refuge and strength moves in response to the prayers and the cries of his people. That's why in verse 15, the Bible says that Hannah poured out her heart to God. That phrase poured out is a word that literally means to pour something out on the ground. R. Kent Hughes said, Prayer was not for Hannah a formality, it was real. She cast her cares on the Lord, knowing that he cared for her. She poured out. When I was a little boy, my 
my brother and I, he's about five and a half years younger than me, my brother and I had a toy box that we shared together. And we could get a lot of stuff in that toy box. When it came time that mom said, boys, it's time to clean up, guess what we did? Everything in the toy box, right? And we would push that lid down and we would sit on that lid and we would jump on it so that we had it all in the toy box. Mom come in and say, how'd we do? Mom, it's all in the toy box. But then when it came time to play again, he'd get on one end, I'd get on the other one, and we'd dump that bad boy over, right? Why? Because there's some stuff in there we needed to find, and the only way to find it was to dump it out. Let me tell you what I figured out when we dumped out the toy box. It's messy. When you pour it out, it makes a mess. Let me tell you what else you find out when you, when you pour out the toy box. It, it, it's, it's all or nothing. You don't just kind of... No, if you want it out, and then you don't pick and choose what comes out. It's all or nothing. Let me tell you what else it is. It's revealing. When you pour it out, I found some stuff in the toy box I wasn't even looking for. Faith invites us to pour out our soul. Let me tell you something. When you do that, it's messy. You hadn't got there until it gets messy. Listen, there's some stuff that comes out in those moments in your conversation with God. You're glad nobody but you and God heard it. Because it's messy. Let me tell you what else it is. It's revealing. You'll find some stuff about you you didn't know. It's all or nothing. Hey, he knows. What are you so afraid to tell him for? It's not like you've concealed that emotion. He knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Faith invites us to pour out our... And this is a principle that's throughout the Old and New Testament. In Psalm 62, verse 8, listen to what the psalmist said. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge. Here's what needs to happen today. Some of you today, some of you need to run into the presence of God. And you need to just turn the box upside down and just pour out your soul. He said it again. Look at the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cared. Do you hear what he said? Casting all, not some, not the cleaned up part. Just dump it all out there. You see, faith in God at all times doesn't mean you can't be honest with God about all things. Some of you, in a few moments when we conclude, we'll take these steps up here and we're going to open them up like we always do, like an old-fashioned altar. And if God really showed up today, you know what could happen? Some of you could come to these steps and you could just begin to pour out your soul. Maybe there won't be enough room up here. Maybe you'll just have to do it in your seat, 
You just have to turn your seat into an altar. And just pour out your soul. Faith invites us to do that. Let me me just point this out in verse 18. Look what it says. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. You know what that means? She found peace. And get this, her situation had not yet changed. Her circumstances had not changed, but her countenance had. Why? Because there is peace when you pour out your heart. Listen, some of you are walking in dark days and you're being robbed of the peace of God because you've yet to respond to the invitation of faith and just pour out your soul to the Lord. Today, it's time for the dam to break and for you to pour out your soul before the Lord. And let me tell you what will happen. You will leave here and the peace of God will flood your soul. Let me show it to you. Philippians chapter 4 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look what it says, and the peace of God, which passes all comprehension. Here's what that means. All comprehension. Here's what that means. That means you won't even be able to explain it. Wait a minute. Aren't your circumstances still the same? Yes, they are. Aren't these days still dark? Yes, they are. Then where does that peace come from? I don't know. I just poured out my heart to God. And now the peace of God that passes all comprehension is guarding my heart and my soul in Christ Jesus. Faith invites us to pour out our heart. Let me give you a third one. Faith reminds me that I can trust God's provision. Let your maidservant, she said in verse 18, find favor. The word favor is unmerited grace. That's what we sang about a moment ago. Although she knew she didn't deserve it, because of God's faithfulness, she could trust in His grace to provide for her. You can trust God with everything in your life. Hey, listen to me. I don't know what you're carrying. You can trust God with it. You say, how can I be sure? Let me ask you a couple of questions. How many of you believe God's a loving God? Let me see your hand. Hold it up. Amen? You can put them down. How many of you believe God is a wise God? Let me see your hand. Hold it up. Amen. Put them down. How many of you believe God is a powerful God? Let me see your hand. Amen. You can put them down. That was all great. But you know the Bible says a whole lot more than that. The Bible says not only is God loving, the Bible says God is love. The Bible says not only is he wise, but but in him all wisdom is found. The Bible says not only is he powerful, but the Bible says he is all powerful. Now let me give you some conclusions based on that. Since God is love, he desires only the best for us. Since God has all wisdom, he knows what's best for us. Since God is all powerful, he can bring about what's best for us. If all of that is true, listen, in moments of darkness, faith invites you to trust him you can trust him you can trust him I'll give you the last thing faith inspires me to praise God for who he is and what he's done Sean sang a moment ago those beautiful words out of 1 Samuel chapter 2 that we didn't read yet 1 Samuel chapter 2 opens this way. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts 
in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Faith inspires me to praise God for who he is and what he's done. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, sure, she praised God. She got what she wanted. She asked for a son. Did you read what she did with that son? I promise you this story didn't turn out the way Hannah expected it to. She did not want a son that she would have to give. But she was so submitted to the sovereignty of God. She said, God, if you do give me a son, I'm going to surrender him to you. I promise you when this mama left the temple that day and her little boy was left behind, there was weeping in her heart, but there was rejoicing in her soul. Because faith inspired her to praise God. She did not understand all that God was doing. She didn't know the rest of the story. She didn't know that through Hannah, we would get Samuel. And through Samuel, we would anoint a king named David. And through David, we would have the line and lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. She didn't know that this one named Jesus would come through her that would ultimately turn the world upside down. She just said, God, I praise you. God allows us to experience dark days to lead us to deeper faith.